Let us pray. Gracious God, we have come to be with you. You are at the center of who we are called to be and what we are to do, not just in church, but with the entirety of our lives. So we pray that you would take my words, the reading of your holy scriptures, and all of our thoughts and transform these into your living presence at the very center of our circle. And that we would be open to your direction. We pray this on the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson today is um, from the book of Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They asked of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, Why do, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring forth quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall call, cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Our New Testament passage is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks be to God for this reading of his word. Thank you, Doug. When we hear scripture passages like the Old and the New Testament passage, it's almost as if God not only has a plan for us, but expects us to actually do it. Which is sort of an odd thing because sometimes, I mean, I can be this way, I sort of think that all of this that we're talking about today in the annual meeting is for me. It's what I like. And I need you to reflect that to me. And you might need me to reflect that to you. And the scriptures sort of pierce through that. Steve Blewett said to me, I think last week as he was leaving, hey, I, I, um, I noticed something. Do you think there's something about this? That in the Beatitudes, it's, Blessed, 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 but at the very end it says, blessed are you. He's now talking to the disciples. He's now talking to specifically to us. And I said, yes, that's next week. In fact, if you can remember back, the very last thing read in that passage, which is actually not a beatitude, it's one of the first of the UR statements, goes something like this, blessed are you, when people revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you for my sake falsely, rejoice and be glad because they did it of the prophets before you. The church's blessing, our blessing is to be found in the fact that we're different and we're truthful. That's why truth is so important. And we're truthful about who God is and what God expects and what God has done for us. And Jesus said that's not a welcome message. And so when you get pushback, recognize that you stand in that line of prophets. And that seems to be true of the life of Jesus himself. Jesus goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. That's a pretty big amount of territory. 
which is a strange statement, salt. He goes on to say that if something has lost its saltiness, how can it possibly be restored? Well, the way salt loses its saltiness is through dilution. It's only useful, says Jesus, to become road that people walk over. I think the reason why Jesus comes up with salt, there is no phrase, the salt of the earth, right? Where we sort of think, oh, she's the salt of the earth, and you get a picture. There was no phrase, the salt of the earth, that we know of before Jesus coined it. I think Jesus coined it because just as he talked about prophets, the salt of the earth is something that concerned priests. And the sacrifices that were offered in the temple were so much like the sacrifices in every other culture. Except they all had to have salt. And it wasn't just the physicality of salt. It was called the salt of the covenant. What made their sacrifice different. It wasn't the quality of the animal. It wasn't the show. It wasn't the ability to blow everything up. Yes, ancient priests were pyrotechnicians. It was the covenant that God gave. The covenant that was always potentially to be diluted. Uh, that's probably why Jesus goes on to say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if you dilute the law, you go against God. He says to his disciples, not only are blessed are you when people revile and persecute you like the prophets, but you are the salt of the earth. And he's saying, in a way, you are the true priests. Jesus didn't expect anyone to go and do sacrifices, but he expected his disciples to embody the covenant and to not dilute it. And then Jesus says something that sounds cool to us after the Enlightenment, but would have been absolutely ridiculous in the ancient world, and that is, you are the light of the world. Now that phrase, the light of the world, was used of kings. If you look at the Hammurabi stila, Hammurabi says, I'm the light of the world, and he's receiving, actually not the law, but a stick to enforce the law from the god Shamash, the god, the sun god. Pharaoh's the light of the world. And it makes sense to us in John's gospel, right, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. All of that makes sense. But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says to his disciples and through them to us, you are the light of the world. Not the king. Not the social services. You. That's what he expects. And then as he continues to talk, he says, look, no one takes their light and puts it under a basket in the house. It's sort of funny. It's definitely a fire hazard that wouldn't get through our safety commission. 
Why on earth would anyone do that? To hoard the light. Right? To keep the light from... Now the kings were called the light of the world because they had all power. They could redistribute assets. They could take yours and mine and put it over there. They're the light of the world. Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world. Don't hoard your light. But share your light with everyone in the house, in the world, and so people can see your good works, good works in terms of all the stuff we talk about, all the stuff in the Old Testament passage about justice and connection. And when they see that, they'll give glory to God. Because it doesn't make any sense for you to share your light. It makes sense for you to hoard your light. But not if you're walking into the blessings of Jesus. There's an article that just appeared this morning in The Atlantic, written by Tim Keller, who's a, a very famous pastor, pastor in New York. And um, in the article, he is talking about, um, boy, what hope does the church possibly have reaching uh, the generations I've been talking about? Um, so we can talk about that sometime. But basically what he's saying is the three things Jesus said. Be salt. Be different. Be covenantal. Don't hoard your resources. Make a difference for justice and connection. Don't count on the politicians. And don't expect anyone else to clap, especially the people you reach out to. Conversion takes a long, long time. I think it's really true that the structure that we are to follow is that circular structure. The elders lead it. The pastors really have that prophetic role as sort of consultants in another model just to keep us trying to go back all the time to the text and to say it's okay to be different. But the model in the middle, that Catriel says it looks sort of narcissistic. I think she's right, unless it's Jesus in the middle. And then it's completely different. And I think that's both the opportunity and challenge for us. Does Jesus want to be in the middle? On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, take, eat. This is my body. It's going to be in the middle. Remember. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup. The Elijah cup. Everyone's waiting around for Elijah. Come back and do what Elijah would do took the cup, said this cup is the cup of the 
renewed covenant, sealed in the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this remembering me. It's in the middle. As often as we drink, or we eat this bread and we drink this cup, the Apostle Paul says, we proclaim to the world our Lord's death, and yet that he will return. It's confusing, but it's transforming, and we bear it as prophets. So friends, before we have soup, Sup on what's in the middle, the true middle of all of us. And be both at peace and disturbed in the power of Christ. Amen.